Welcome to the Soho Playhouse podcast. I'm Darren Lee Cole. This is a show about off-Broadway theater and how it serves the cultural landscapes of New York City, the United States, and the world. We'll chat with the incredible creators and influencers of this unique art form. So now, come with me backstage. He was doing comedy on TV while still in his teens. He performed in London's West End when he was 19. He's still old enough to have signed a DVD deal when he was 20. And now, at age 31, Daniel Sloss is a stand-up star with specials on Netflix and HBO. He fills big-time concert halls, guests on talk shows in the U.S. and the U.K., and remains true to his Scottish heritage. I first brought Daniel to Soho Playhouse in 2015, where he performed the show called Dark. I caught up with him for this conversation at a great pub in Adelaide, Australia. Now, please enjoy and laugh along with Daniel Sloss. Daniel is a real special guest because Daniel's one of our, I call them house clowns at the Soho That's Playhouse. Good. Yeah, yeah, no, I like that. Because that's the thing I've always liked, I've always liked the term clown for comedians. I know some comics find it derogatory because they prefer the term comic, but I'm like, I mean, this is what we are. You know, we're, we're, we are clowns, we're jesters in a way. So like, is that too great a leap to call you a house clown at the Soho Playhouse now? No, no, absolutely, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the alternative is like, because you you there's comedians that consider themselves preachers, and I'd much rather consider myself a fucking clown. <laughs> Because if you're a preacher and you say something awful, then you're held accountable because it's like you've painted yourself as this sort of person. Whereas I've never claimed to be anything other than an idiot with a microphone. Yeah. Just because I make some good points. You get away with a lot. I do. I do. It's joyous. I don't know why that is. I don't know whether it's the accent or the face or the uh, faux intelligence. (laughs) I don't know what it was, but something. Well, it's interesting. Right before we come on to this podcast, we were talking about a couple of your shows. But just for some of our listeners... Give a brief history from your point of view, just to, you know, briefly, how you first came to Soho Playhouse, which is Playhouse Experiences, is yeah. about what's happening at Soho Playhouse. Uh, I remember seeing you for the first time in Edinburgh. We met quickly. We were just talking about your Uber agent, yeah, 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 Marlena. Yeah. So, as Craig Hill calls her, the tiny German lesbian who's neither German nor a lesbian. <laughs> 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 or does the rest of us call her Adolf Zwickler? <laughs> a name that she pretends not to like, but I think she does. So for somebody like you that is in a fringe festival in Edinburgh, by the time I saw, I saw you, you had some measure of success. Yes. Uh, that's certainly grown over the last few years. Uh, what do you think of like uh, New York? Was that a thing that you wanted to do, or is, what is that a thing in the world uh, of New York? For me, was like uh, that's American comedy. Like that's that's of course what you associate. Like I know obviously LA is where Hollywood is, but there's two types of comedians in the world. There's comedians that want to be comedians, and there's comedians that want to be actors. And the comedians that want to be actors go to America, uh, go to LA, and the comedians that want to be comedians go to New York. That it's was really interesting you say that because some of my roots of comedy are going late night, the classic 3 a.m. set at the Comic Strip mm-hmm. in New York. Those great clubs when Comic Strip and mm-hmm. Catch a Rising Star were like huge. And you would sit there, and the classic, I'd be one of five or six people sitting there. And back then, it's Jerry Seinfeld, followed by Paul Reiser, and then Eddie Murphy dropping in to do a set. 
and it was like wow yeah that's one of the things like but, but it was 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 that pre their like fame or was that right one? pre their fame see that's the bit that's the th- th- those are the stories i i love and this is a, one of my several forms of uh narcissism <laughs> is like the thing i've always liked is like i know all the comedians that like i grew up looking up to and the ones that when i started in this industry i loved and like you're excited i'm like who from my generation of comics? I'm like, who are going to be the ones still working in 15 years? I, I remember from like being three years into comedy, being like, which one of us, which which of us is going to make it to the top? Which ones? Because like Reese Nicholson over here has he's been one of my closest friends right. for nine years in comedy. Great he's stuff. Now, yeah, and and but we were both just two fucking 19 year olds in Sydney getting drunk, following Glenn Wool around. Neither <laughs> of us believing that we were allowed at a comedy festival, and now we both have these. Careers, and we were walking down the street the other day, and somebody went, "That's Daniel Slosson, Reese Nicholson," and we're like, "That's ridiculous!" Like, well, I feel to like some people, we're that, and I find, like I, I, I'm so excited for the next ten years to see because you know I've got the people I support, you know, Kai Humphreys and Mickey Barley. Well, actually, we're going to talk a little bit more about specifically those guys because I think it's a really beautiful thing that you've done with those guys and how you've brought them with me to the Playhouse. We'll get into that in a minute, uh, but so. Like, and then right after the early 80s, in the mid-80s, comedy was like the rock and roll. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of the American entertainment scene. And that, that was everything. I feel sort of like that's a resurgence coming. It did. It went down for a bit. There was a definitely, a, a, I, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm fit to comment on the uh, American circuit in that sense, considering I only sort of, thanks to your assistance, uh, got on to about five uh, years ago. I was trying to remember, when's the first time we booked you? Is it five years well, ago? It would, it would, dark would have been... At least four, maybe yeah, five. Yeah, four, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's been four shows. Yes, four, yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, I think three or four. Uh, probably four, um, but in the UK, yeah, yeah, there was definitely uh, it, it was called in the nineties in the UK and was rock and roll, and then it died down a bit because the DVD market just oversaturated, and then I destroyed it, and <laughs> I got the last single-handedly. Yeah, yeah, I got, I got, I got the really. La- I think you might have had some assistance. No, 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 I, I got yeah, yeah, Marlena. I got, I got one of the last ever DVD deals, and. Um, I got one of the last ever DVD deals in the UK. And it was for. So you think it was destroyed because people saw that and said that's enough? Well, of no, that? no, because it was because <laughs> I got my, my amazing agent. She got a disgusting amount of money out of the people, and then we sold three thousand max <laughs> copies of it. Like it was not well, but I'm not too fast because it was the uh, the company was run by the BBC, and anything I can do to <laughs> screw the BBC over, I will do at a moment's notice. I despise the BBC. So when you first started doing Fringes, now you've done Edinburgh Fringe for several years running, right? Uh, this was my 10th uh, solo show there, but my 11th year, yeah. Yeah. So when you're at the very beginning of that, uh, you know, think back. Mm. Was that a way to platform yourself for people like me or other people around the world to see you and book you? Or it, like, was that in, what was in it for you? Or mm. was it about honing the craft? It was neither. It was about playing the Edinburgh Festival. Like, you've got to understand, I, w- I went to the Edinburgh Festival every year since I was six years old. Like, I would go in. Because well, you're from Scotland. I'm from Scotland. I'd go with my dad. You could never tell with your accent, but yes, everybody, yeah. he's actually from Scotland. I'm actually from he's Scotland. not putting this on. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's not a bad bit. Um, I went to the Fringe for so many years before. I would go through with my dad. Like, when I was, I remember being like, I think it was about 13 or 14. My dad worked in Edinburgh, so he'd drive me through in the morning. He would give me a tenner, and he would get to work, and he'd go, fuck off. 
like just go into Edinburgh because it'd be street performers wow. and stuff. Yeah. And I go and, and a tenor would go along. You could get a whole day out of it. Yeah, tenor. absolutely. And then at lunchtime, I would go down and visit and work, and we'd have lunch together and we'd play computer games. And then he'd give me another tenor and he'd go fuck off again. And I'd fuck <laughs> off until five. And he'd come and see see me, and we'd go and see shows at night. And I loved it so much. My favorite memories of a lot of them of my childhood was going to the yeah, fringe that with, is my, with my pretty amazing to have that opportunity. Per- so, truly, all kidding aside, how wonderful. Oh, man, I loved it. It's what I grew up on. So, like, for me, the fringe is what you did. That's what every comic did. It is, it, like, uh, the, I will always say about the fringe. The fringe is the, lo- is the biggest and greatest arts festival in the world. Uh, all the other festivals are great. We're here at Adelaide. It's a lovely festival. It's nothing compared to Edinburgh. The only two things that sell more tickets than the Edinburgh Festival are the World Cup and the Olympics. Is that true? That's true. That's wow. it. It's the highest selling ticket thing in the world. It, the population of Edinburgh doubles. I live in Edinburgh. Yeah, because Edinburgh's normal population is, I'm going to guess, what, uh, even a half a million? or If that, yeah. If that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there's well over a million people running around there yeah. at festival time. And, and, and I loved it. So when I, when I did my first Fringe, I was, did, did a show called uh, Life in 2D. It was a split bill. Me doing 15 minutes, my friend called Davey Connor. Uh, his name was Davey. My name's Daniel. Life in 2D. Okay. It was a 30-minute show. We did 15 minutes each, free Where, what venue were you? Espionage downstairs at uh, twelve thirty in the afternoon, lunchtime. For comedy, for like com- the for- death oh. knell of a spot. Yeah. But we flyered every day, and I flyered and flyered, flyered, and it sold out every day. Like people would come because I was seventeen, I was young, and you know I had some decent credits in the fact. I can actually totally believe that. So there is the amazing risk taking from the audience point of view as well in Edinburgh. It's like let's see what the fucking seventeen-year-old's got. Let's see what he's got. It's because also like because uh, a Scottish comedian uh, called Frankie Boyle had to help me when I started out. Like I was was using his name while firing, being like he, you know, he supports me. He's been so kind. They heard his name and they came along. And uh, weirdly enough, uh, I ended up accidentally flyering uh, the the partner of uh, the man who would later become one of my publicists, who's great friends with Marlena. So I just flyered this guy randomly who came to my show, saw me, and then told my agent, you have to sign this kid. So wow. pure, so just sheer chance like that. So, um, well, yeah. by, by the way, that's really cool because that's what a lot of artists I deal with, you know, why they do fringes and things similar is for that chance. It's like, that's a way to platform myself. That's a chance mm. for me to be seen, to meet an agent, mm. to take it to next level. To go out there, yeah. And, and, and again, it is the craft of it. Like, uh, there is nothing in the world that compares to doing the same show every day for 25 days. It's doing the Edinburgh Festival is the equivalent of, I would say, two years on the circuit, easily. Yeah, because so there's actually, no beyond- let's not skip over that. That People don't understand how demanding that is. So when you go no, and you book no in be- Edinburgh, you don't do a day off. You do your show every day. Every single day, and other same, spots. Yeah. And other spots to sell tickets. There's, and when you're doing your solo show, there's nobody on before you, there's nobody on after you. It's you. You keep that audience's attention for that full fucking 50 minutes, right? And it's anybody all, who's never done that, I dare you. Fucking have a go. Have yeah. a go. And I, one of the many, uh, I will complain about my agent uh, all day long, <laughs> very, very happily. She knows I do it. Uh, but very, 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 very rarely is she wrong. And she pushed me to do my first fringe when I was 18 years old. I was like, I don't have the material. And she went, fucking find it. Yeah. And I had to, because I had this fucking deadline now. And I got it together. And my first show wasn't that great. And then she was like, you're doing another show next. I was like, I've, no, that took me two years to write all that material. She's like, fucking find it. You better and get busy. And she forced me to write a second one, the second and the third and the fourth. And, is, and you know what? My first show wasn't that great. My second show wasn't that great. My third show wasn't that great. My fourth show wasn't that great. Who remembers those shows? 
Nobody. Absolutely fucking nobody remembers those yeah. shows, except for me. But all right. I know is how much better a but comic. But those were clearly building blocks also. 100%. Because I did the same show every day for 25 fucking days with extra shows. So out that's of why I asked earlier about, like, not to be underestimated, is the honing of your craft. 100%. The reason I am the comedian I am today is because of the Edinburgh Festival. No, yeah. no, no, and because of my age, there's many, many factors, but absolutely 100%. And it's just like, there's the thing I've always said, and this might come across as uh, rude, but it's my opinion, so who gives a shit? Um, <laughs> the top five to 10% of American comedians are some of the absolute best in the world. The bottom 90 are abysmal. Yeah. Whereas in, in the UK, the, uh, you know, I would say our, you know, top ten, maybe top five percent, like the best one with your with your Eddie Izzards, with your Dylan Morans, with your uh, Catherine Ryan's Canadian. We can't. Well, she lives there. So I guess we could claim her, Ramesh Ryan, Nathan. These you could people. reclaim her. You can claim her, Jack D. All these yeah. geniuses. Oh, great, um, great. Uh, but the comics. Bo- but the middle, the middle sixty of British comedy are also very, very, very good. Yeah, like our sports, middle group. sports terminology, you got a deep bench. Yeah, very, very deep bench. Like even if you were to, like I would go and see a British comic that's been on the circuit for five years over an American comic that's been on the circuit for 10. And the reason that is, is because I guarantee you that British comic has done at least two hour long shows where it was just them. They've toured a little bit. Whereas I know with a lot of the American comics, what they've done is they've got a tight 15. Yeah, because, because that's because what that's you get the in the clubs. Because you don't, and, and again, it's because America's so big. And not only that, but you have to fight for that 15 minutes slot. Of course you do, and it, and it doesn't, it allows you to develop a type of voice, but not your actual voice. It, it allows you to get a condensed voice. I've got to get all this shit out in 15 minutes, gag, 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 because you have to. And, and this thing, the competition in America, I think, is much greater. Like, uh, to any American comics, listen, none of this is meant to be... An insult. It's just Nor do an I observation. Think take it that way. Good, good. Yeah, uh, but it's the difference in our circuits is because in America you don't have a festival. You don't have. There's no bookmark to the end of the year. There's right. no. There's no annual there's no calendar thing. to sort of follow along. Exactly that. There's that no calendar, and yeah. you don't need it. And it's because your country has got 300 million people, and it's right. a billion miles 350 wide. 350 now. 350. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, and so you just you can because you work in New York and then you go to Chicago and then you go to LA and then you go to fucking uh, Texas. You do all these and you can and you can get that you can tour in America for five years with the same fucking material. Yeah, one of my best friends does that and has and it's done not, very very well with it. And, and do yeah, and, and it gets tired and tired and tired and better. You don't get that privilege in the UK if you do if you do not do the Edinburgh Festival. Good fucking riddance. You're yes. not. You're and not also, getting anywhere. I think also the magic of that and and how we connected was the magic of the hour format. You can't fake it for an hour. Mm. Like you can fake it a little if you've got a couple of good bits. You can get. You can stretch fifteen. Of course, you get. You, yeah, you can. You can. You can stretch but, fifteen. But to even 25. twenty, you're starting to get a little flop sweat. Yeah. And thirty, you're soaked. Yeah. Yeah. You got to be able to. <laughs> it's a real. It's a real skill. So that's what interests me in you and uh, and a few others, but particularly you. Originally, I had the sort of epiphany sitting in one of your shows four or five years ago, wondering, can I put this on a on a stage that's known for theater, mm. that isn't a comedy club, that is a proper off-Broadway theater venue. What did you think about that when, I, when we first approached you about that? Um, I, well, I trusted Marlena. Yeah. Marlena. As much as I complain about her, she's, as far as my memory serves, 
she's never steered me wrong. And I go, oh, and, and don't me wrong, I've wanted her to be wrong. Like, I've <laughs> You've wa- hoped oh, hoped. To the detriment of my, my own career, I've wanted her to be wrong. Like, like, so, like really, you would tank something yeah, for her to oh, be wrong? No, 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 no. But I mean, like, I mean, like, if I fucking failed, I'd be like, yeah, she was wrong. But, she, cause with but you the, never took a dive. No, no, I never took a dive. With the first, <laughs> as I was saying, the first four French shows, I didn't want to do any of, I didn't want to do them because I wanted to wait and she forced me to do them and she wasn't wrong because it's made me the comic I am today. Um, so she, what would you like when she approached you and said Darren actually is considering putting because well, she, she she said do you want to do do you do you want to do dark in New York like do you want to do you want to perform in New York and I was like I want to perform in New York I want to do the clubs I don't want to do a theater there because I don't I'm not going to fucking sell there I just didn't think I was going to I'm like I'm not I've done at that point I think I, I hadn't even done a fucking Conan spot and if I had it it'd been one. Like yeah. there's nothing. I think you had just maybe done your first Conan. Yeah, maybe like that. And like, and she's like, "Do you want to do five days in New York?" And I'm like, "You're a fucking psycho. Get me over there." <laughs> and like, and again, one of the many times she's been right. I'm like, "Fucking get me over there and get me a bunch of spots, and I'll do this fucking spots." And I was like, "No, I'm not doing a theater." And she was like, "Trust me." And I was like, "No, fuck you." And and then I met you, and you were, you know, you're very convincing. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I remember. I remember that fucking first week because I think the first show. Yeah, well, do you remember the, your first show at in very, New York? Very vividly. There was only about it was on a Tuesday. Um, it was uh, and it was cold, as I recall. Freezing. It was absolutely fucking freezing. Yeah, uh, I've only ever been in New York in the cold. So like, yeah, welcome to town, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm much. I'm, I'm I hope much, you got but, something to put on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm much better in the cold. Um, but yeah, I remember getting in there and it just being going because it's it's such a good theater and it's it's exactly my type of room. It's dark. It's fucking old. It it it's it's got this just it's it's like it's that it's a I I can't remember what comic said it was, but it's like the best comedy rooms are uh, rooms that if there was a fire, everyone dies. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully the the fire marshal is not tuned into this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but just in the, but I mean in the sense of yeah, like it's the low, most, I, low I claim ceiling. it's one of the most intimate. 178 seats you'll ever be in in your Intimate life. Intimate is fun. And w- one thing I really, really remember is like my, the first show there, there was only about 35 ticket sales, which is not a bad thing considering, I, as we just said, I'd only done Conan and I'd done nothing in New York. And that was people uh, who just trusted the theater that came along and I had such a good show and then it, and the word of mouth and everything. And it really grew it, fast, remember? It really did. I, I, and the intimacy in the room, when it was still only 35 people in that room, you couldn't fucking tell because I can't see beyond the second row. Right. And, uh, and that's a great vibe even at 30 to 50 people. Yeah. That room, it can pop. Oh, man. And uh, the, I remember the second or third of a show there, I walked on stage and I just looked out at the crowd and I'm like, fucking that's Cal Penn. As in the guy from Harlington Kumar gets mentioned, the guy that writes Obama's speech. I'm like, that's fucking Carl Penn. And then I got off stage and he wasn't there. And I'm like, oh, I'm just racist. Like, <laughs> like that's what's happened. That's what, That's just another Indian man. Dressed and I'm just a horrible like racist projecting. man. Yeah, I'm just, a, oh, and I was really ashamed of myself. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. Like, I know the lights in your eyes, but come on, Sloss, that's pathetic. And then 20 minutes later, he tweeted me and I was like, oh, thank God. It was him. Yeah. <laughs> it was, but, but and, I was, and I was like, why the fuck? Did you come and see my show? And he was like, because he's been at the theater before. He's like, yeah. I know the theater. And yeah, there's something called Downtown Cool mm. in New York. And people are willing to, like the punters in... Take a fucking risk. Take a risk. And I love that because, you know, that's most of my, all my early career. So why I matched you originally with that, and boy, that has progressed in a beautiful way for both of us. Why I matched you there originally with Marlena 
is that room is built as a storytelling room. And I'm a storyteller. The style of off-Broadway theater is like the great Edward Albee expression is people go to Broadway to look, they come off-Broadway to listen. Oh, that's great. And I thought, you know what? Because I had never really fully uh, uh, platformed a a comedian Mm. like you at that time to take like a main stage slot in our prime time. Yep. And it was so a risk on both of our parts. And then it, it went well, I thought. Oh, it started yeah. slow, it built. But word of mouth. And uh, then I came to Edinburgh the next year and I saw your new show. And I was like, boy, Daniel's like actually really, really getting it. And then you came a second season. Yeah, yeah. I got, once I got the taste for... Once I got the fucking taste for storytelling and... and air quotes dark comedy like for so I always I can't watch my early stand-up like my DVD that's painful I can't watch it yeah yeah it's still too close because like I know I know I was a good comedian I knew how to write a joke I had stagecraft I knew exactly what to fucking do but it was porridge comedy right there's no oatmeal comedy I guess right yeah Yeah. Um, filling but technically good technically good and does well no flavor no substance yeah. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I remember, and this is one again, one of the other uh, positive things I'll say about Marlena. So m- make sure she never fucking listens to this. Yeah, she's she's uh, cut off for this. Yeah, podcast. yeah, yeah. Is, um, <laughs> no link for you, Marlena. I was at the, I was in the UK. I was at one of, my, especially when I was young, peak on like my. One of my peaks in my career and the fact that I was on television a lot, but I was a young fucking cheeky chappy and that was the sort of hole I was about to be fucking pushed down and I didn't like it. Like I knew I wanted to talk about darker stuff and, and I remember that one of the first jokes uh, that I really, lo- one of my first ever jokes that I loved was my one about religion, which is, you know, kids opening their presents and thanking Santa is exactly how doctors feel whenever you thank God. <laughs> And I remember doing that routine and being like, fuck, that's a real stand-up. And I knew it was a real stand-up routine because other comedians were angry at me that I'd written it. There was that oh, really beautiful... Good. And I lo- there's nothing better than another comedian going, being really oh, pissed fuck off, you. Like yeah, you yeah. got that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> Damn I, it. And I get it a lot. And I, 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 and I love it too. When I see a comedian that does a joke where I just go, you bastard. So just it was right the, there for us all to take. You can paraphrase it because I don't know how long it actually takes to do it. Too it, long for this. But paraphrase like uh, where I absolutely knew that we were going to be working together for a long time yeah. is that are you a psychopath the psychopath test. test i was the only one in the room that instantly nailed that and i was truly dumbfounded that nobody else it's, around me it's so can you do like a very brief 100%. like what that is uh, there's a t- test years and years and years and years ago uh, that they say was a psychopath test uh, a woman is attending her mother's funeral. While at the wake, she meets a man who she's never met before. He's nice, he's charming, and despite, obviously, the situation, he manages to make her laugh. But it's a wake. She's got to thank people for coming, say goodbye to guests as they leave, you know, make sure the nibbles are all out and sort the flowers and whatnot. Eventually, uh, she gets a bit of time to herself, and she wants to strike up a conversation with this fascinating man again. When she looks around, she can't find him anywhere. And this is in the days before Facebook and even mobile phones. She can't find him anywhere, and she's devastated. So the next week, she murders her sister. Why? <laughs> I and, knew instantly. And for anyone, for anyone listening that got it instantly, I cannot stress to you enough that 80% of other people have not got it. To people that get it instantly, like you and me, it blows our mind but that other people don't get like, it. Isn't it obvious? Yeah, yeah. And to the people, the other 80%, the majority of you, the reason <laughs> it is... Well, fuck it, come see the show. <laughs> Good, let's leave that as a Yeah, 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 way better. Yeah. Absolutely. Come see the fucking I'm show. I'm not going to yeah. spoil it. Absolutely. Yeah, let's leave that. But, but um, I think it says something about us both that we ace that. 
It, absolutely straight away, man. It was the most, and it's something I love to do, in, uh, and I love doing. So I don't stage. think it's a test of a psychopath. I think it's a test of a practical mind. Right, exactly <laughs> that, and that's the entire point of my show, which is being. People think logic makes you a psychopath, but if you, because you, you know, it's. I, I hate to fucking. I hate to use the words of uh, Ben Shapiro, but it's also it's not his fucking quote. He stole it. But the phrase uh, "facts don't care about your feelings." Ben Shapiro flicks that around. Yeah. Being like, I made that up. No, you didn't. Neil deGrasse Tyson did. Shut your fucking mouth, you despicable fucking racist. Like, were you fu- fucking quoting someone else? You fucking moron. And if you're gonna rip somebody off, Neil deGrasse Tyson might not be the right dude. Yeah, to yeah, be yeah, yeah. Off. yeah, yeah. Especially with your stance, you fucking piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, I, in that fight, I think I'm going with Neil. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm gonna go with the man of actual science. You fucking moron um so you mentioned uh how uh you like the dark which oh, i do so then your show dark so 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 uh, and this was the credit was given to marlena like when when i wanted to i could have i could have become a millionaire when i was 21 by just doing all those shows and becoming a tv presenter or a fucking actor and filling the fucking void that they wanted me to fill there but i was like no no i don't want to i want to do my own stuff and i said to marlena, i said to marlena i want to do less tv in the uk because i want to work on my stand-up when I was at like the peak of my stuff, and I think she's one of the only agents in the so world. That, that when that I said that, some... she said, "Yeah, okay." There was no challenge. She didn't question it at all. She was she didn't try to push That me. took some real backbone to sort of well, because I knew I, deny I, the, the the what the bird in the hand versus you know the one in the bush kind of deal. I knew the type of I knew the type of comic I wanted to be, and the type of comic I wanted to be. I didn't care how successful he was. So it's so interesting you say that because. Um, we sort of have themes emerge in seasons at Soho Playhouse. Mm. And this year, and it speaks to exactly what you just said. The theme this year is I like to think of Soho Playhouse as a home for people and artists with courage. Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, that's good. You get Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Hannah Gadsby. Yeah, and yourself. Yeah. Like, that's a courageous move. Not to just go take the low-hanging fruit, the money that's there. Mm. And you're a reasonably young man when you make that choice. Uh, So I had my whole life. I was like, hey, I can sell it when I'm 25. (laughs) (laughs) So it took courage to do that. And then I think that's paid off for you big time. 100%. 100%. Because when Marlena gave me that year off and... And then I went to America, and that's when I, uh, with Dark, it was the first time I'd ever talked about my sister on stage. And that's what spawned the show Dark. And then I got a fucking taste for it, man. The second, the second yeah, I. Because re- that was a huge shift, talking about your sister. You want, you want to give us just yeah, I a just, little background yeah. on that? Because that's, that's yeah. some real stuff. My sister, uh, I, uh, when I was eight years old, my six year old sister Josie, she uh, died. She had cerebral palsy. She had a bunch of fucking health complications. I think she actually lived three years longer than they expected, but being eight, I didn't. Like, my parents weren't like, don't get attached. Of course, they weren't like that. Yeah. But it was something for years and years. She died when I was eight. And uh, I, remember, I remember being fucking 19 in some fucking articles. They brought it up with me. And they were like, do you think that's why you got into comedy? And I was like, no, don't degrade either myself or my sister that month that you think it's some sort of tragedy. It's just like, the only reason I'd never spoken about it on stage isn't because I was sensitive or it was too brutal to go through. It was just because I was like, I didn't think it could be funny. I didn't think there was any use to saying it on stage. It was nothing. People want you to have this fucking sob story and this backstory and all this stuff. And I was like, no, no, the reason I don't talk about my disabled sister on stage is because I didn't have any fucking funny stories about it. And I didn't think people wanted to hear about it. And then I did a, a show in America. But where that's made- interesting, no taboos. 
No taboos. No, no. I'm fucking. The only reason taboo subjects is because no. The only reason taboo subjects exist is because other people don't have the fucking balls to talk about them, and the cunts that do have the balls to talk about them talk about them wrong. The problem and the problem I have with uh, you know for so many for so long people was like rape jokes are never funny. Rapes never funny. Rapes never funny. Now. For years, well, I was that's like, "That's a part of X." Mm, it's part of X. I, I, first of all, uh, uh, despite what fucking people say, Hannah Gadsby's in the net. There's, it's a, fu- it's a beautifully powerful show, and there are some stunningly funny r- lines in there, like real, just so well written. Uh, Sarah Silverman has phenomenal jokes where she talks about rape. The, the problem is what happened for for so long is that c- bad comedians watched great comedians like Stan Hope. And Jeffries and misunderstood the point. They were like, "Oh, Jeffries says horrible things, so being horrible is funny." And it's like you just don't understand the fucking nuance. No, no. Jeffries isn't being fucking horrible. He's not. He's talking about dark subjects. And but if that is not in the flow of the setup and the zeitgeist of the piece, it's gonna fall like a right on real its fucking, fucking yeah. flat. So what happened for so many years? Bad comics were like, "I'm gonna do short comedy. I'm gonna talk about. I'm gonna talk about taboo subjects where the taboo subject is the fucking punchline." So it's going to be like the punchline is sexual assault, the punchline is murder, the punchline is child abuse, the punchline is... And that's what made those subjects fucking taboo. And these bad comedians for years and years and years, they fucked the comedy scene because they weren't professional enough to do these subjects justice. And that's not storytelling. It's not storytelling. It's just you're making... Whereas one thing that, you know, the, the likes of uh, Tignataro, I remember, she was... I remember her listening to her uh, live thing where she went on stage and she started speaking about being diagnosed with cancer. And I was like, I'm fucking captivated. I'm not, li- I'm not laughing, but I'm listening so much. And I just remember going, I didn't know you could do that as a comic. I didn't know we were allowed to do that. And that's taken it out really inspired me. So how then- long ago is that? Because I noticed a significant shift in your material when, when you got a hold of that. Yeah, the second it was, it was uh, the show. Uh, it, oh, God, uh, it's... Oh, I'm a horrible person for forgetting the name of the show. It's a, it was at the Nerd Milk Comics at Risk, LA. They were like, they were like, go on stage and tell a story you've never told before. And I was like, well, I've never spoken about my sister on stage. So that was the first time you broke that ice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it wasn't a comedy show. So I phoned, first thing I did was I phoned my mum and I was like, hey, I'm gonna go. Talk, I'm gonna talk about Josie, Josie. on stage. She had any did, problems? Did you ask her is that okay or? Yeah, well, yeah. Well, well, I wasn't asking permission because she's my sister as well. It's also my choice. Right. But also, my, I, I'm I'm so close to my parents. Like I knew they wouldn't care. But you know, I phoned. Her, I was like, just so you, just so you know, I don't want to get back to you in a way that you right. think I'm going there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want you to know. That it's a, and the, I went. I'm gonna talk about Josie on stage. <laughs> and my mom went. Fucking. Here's the story. And she was the one. That that immediately told me the car crash story. Oh my God, I had, I had, really? That comes from your mom? Yeah, because I was six years old when that story happened, so I don't remember it. Wow. So it was my mom told give, me Give us story. a little bit of the car crash me, story. Me and, uh, me and my, uh, when I was about, I must have been seven, she was Amazing. five, she was heavily fucking disabled, man. Like she couldn't walk or talk, she laughed all the time, but she couldn't walk or talk. We are in a car crash, the car flipped three times, and when we got out of the car, a man saw my father holding, oh no, my mother holding Josie, and Josie just like like spazzing around in the place the way she was. She didn't have control of her arms and legs, just drooling. And he thought of that course. had happened in the crash. And to us, well, that why was wouldn't the, you? Yeah, and that was the funniest thing in the world to us because we're like, no, <laughs> no, no, no she, that's, that's just Josie. That's, that's what she's like. <laughs> she's this wonderful idiot all the times. This isn't a negative effect of that awful thing. This is the positive joy we have at all points. And I remember getting a laugh out of that on stage, telling that well, story on it's stage. Well, because it's a combination laugh. It's a, um, 
It's a laugh at the humor of the situation. It's a release laugh. Yeah. Of like kind of letting go of all the boogeyman stuff around talking about that. Exactly. And then and then and then I then I really wanted to and then I started talking about her death and it caught people to sort of off guard and I very, very I was like, fuck, I can't because I my family are very, very funny, and, and we always use comedy to deal with things. I remember so much after my sister, it was so sad when my sister died. Of course it was, because I remember... Now remind well, me, how old are you when Jesse dies? I was about dies? eight, but yeah. the thing I really remember is, I, I remember my mom is one of the funniest people in the world. My dad is one of the funniest people in the world. My grandparents are hysterical. My aunts and uncles, I come from a very, very fun, funny family. And I remember walking into the room when I found out my sister died, and there was no laughter in the room, and it was so alien. So it was, uh, that was when I, d- I didn't, you know, I, I say it in the show, I didn't recognize my family because they weren't fucking laughing. But eventually, did, as the week went on, there was just little bits that made us laugh. And, and we, it, was, it wasn't horrible jokes, I expect, but it was finding laughter in the sadness was such a perfect thing. I remember my mom says this. She was like, one of the first times she remembers laughing uh, it was, um, I didn't put this in the show, but when the... Uh, I wasn't allowed to go to the uh, the, the uh, funeral of the church because I was an angry little atheist and they just knew I was going to spoil the fucking ceremony. You were not allowed. <laughs> I was, they were, were like, no. You were, that's a, is that the first time you were cut off? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was, allowed, I was allowed to go to the bit where they fuck it, they stick her in the ground, right? So the hearse... That's called the burial. Yeah, yeah, yeah the burial, right? <laughs> but I, was, I just remember, my mum says they were standing on the, the, the front of her uh, house and when the hearse pulled up, my mum and dad are standing there and they know I'm sad, they know I've, but they don't know how much their eight-year-old son has processed what's going on. And they're sort of looking at this moment to see, which they know what this, this moment is. This is a moment where their daughter's in the back of a house and they're about to take their remaining child to go and bury her. And like, they want to, like, how's he going to react to this? Like, what is, what's, what's going on in that eight-year-old head? And the hearse pulled up and apparently the only words out of my mouth were, <gasps> limo. <laughs> And I thought it was a limo. And both my parents were like, it's not a limo. And I'm like, I've seen cartoons. That's a fucking limo. And my parents are laughing because they're like, it's not a fuck. But like, they don't want to then just, to, because they're like, my dad's like, well, don't explain to him. Like, just like, what do we do? So they always manage to find those little bits of laughter in it. And, I, and that's such an important thing. I remember every bad thing that's ever happened in my life. I always remember the first time I laughed afterwards. I always remember the, or when my, my friends always say, whenever something bad happens, they go, me and Kai have always said the thing how long after we're talking about kai humphreys another comedian another great comedian yeah weird uh talking i'm like how long after the bad thing happened did the first joke pop into your head how long to once you how no matter how traumatic uh, actually i think there's two questions there when did it pop into your head and when did you when did you say it public yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) and we do we do it uh, all the time because you know and for me laughter in trauma has always been sort of cathartic and and it's something like you, when I was scared of talking about my sister on stage, I was just going, I was so annoyed for a bit, because I'm like, you don't get to tell me how to cope with things. Like, I know my coping mechanism is excellent because I'm a functional human being and I can talk about, and yes, I grieve and yes, I get sad, but I know, you know, people people will criticize your methods of getting past it. They're like, oh my God, look, why are you making jokes about it? Because that's how I find- that's who you are. Yeah, if you want to go in a corner and fucking cry and that works for you, good. I'm glad that works for you. We all have different coping mechanisms. By the way, I think that's really cool because in your show, when you talk about these things, it does, it, it is about you. Mm. And what and your way to deal, it doesn't ever feel like you're uh, making fun of or belittling anybody else's process. No, no, no. And that's for them. And that's why. But you get to own yours. And that's it's the only perspective I can talk about 
with 100% conviction where I can't be wrong is my own. People can disagree with me and that's fine. We're, we live in a world where you're allowed to disagree with me and if you disagree with me, that's fine. We can still be friends. Despite yeah, what people uh, think well, how healthy is that, by the way? Don't tell that to American politicians. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh man, it's happening. In the, it's <laughs> everywhere. You, uh, the only thing I was like with my audience, like, if you disagree with me, that's fine. You're allowed to. We can still be friends if we fucking disagree. I remember when I was writing the show Dark, one of the most things I wanted to... I realized the way to get the audience on side and it's a method I've used since then, is so that they understand why I react the way I do and why I make the jokes, is to put them in my shoes. So that's why in Dark, I spend 10 minutes talking about my sister as if she's still alive. In fact, I spend the first 15 minutes of the show talking about my sister as I if remember. she's alive. And that's an intentional thing, I do that, because when I find out my sister died, it shocked me, it took me so off guard. And I want the audience to go through the exact same shock I did, because only then are they on my level. And then when I start going, and then I start going, and this is why I reacted like this, and they understand it's it. It's amazing you bring up that incident, uh, or that part of the material, because that's when I, that's, that was my clarity moment in hearing that is, that's theater mm. to me. Yeah, That's theater being done by a comedian. That, oh, thank you. Well, that's for, for so long, like, I didn't, you know, uh, you know, I've got a little bit of disdain's too harsh a word. But, I wish know, the audience could see Daniel's face right now. There's, <laughs> it's contorting. There's a, there's a certain type of comedy that's not for me. It's for some people, but there's a certain type, and it's what I... What, what is that? Describe it. Poetry comedy. Outside of Tim Key. Who's right. an ama- who, who really makes me question my stance on poetry co- comedy. <laughs> but there's, it's a term so for the uninitiated, what is, it's, it's, in, your, in your words, what is poetry comedy? Poetry comedy is comedy without any punchlines. Comedy that fucking sounds nice, it's nice to love fucking listen to, but at no point are you holding your belly with laughter. It's poetry comedy. Uh, it can normally be found at uh, the Pleasance in Edinburgh. It can be set, it can be found often in the Pleasance in Edinburgh. Uh, if you want to know where all the if you want to see what a poetry comic comedy is, go to Brooks Bar in Edinburgh, which is the Pleasance Artist Bar. That's where every poetry comic hangs out. It's these uh, comedians that are only there for the awards and the plaudits and for for the respect of the other fucking comedians, as opposed to what it should be about the audience that's in front of you. And for so long, I didn't want to. And this was my own doing. This is where I was incorrect. For me, I was like, no, no, I want to. I, I love stand up. I love pure stand up. But I also love why stand up delivery. Set one man or one woman with one microphone and one audience. I'm like, that's yeah. ultimate I, power. Ultimate power. I love that sort of shit. But then again, and then I've seen so many other comedy where I'm like, fuck, I love sketch and even like fucking improv and Tim Key poetry comic he converted me and I'm like ah oh, no <laughs> don't make me like this I know but <laughs> Tim Key so, he's so unbelievably good at what he does um, and he's so funny he's a sweetheart so maybe you know I, I'm, I'm wrong about a lot of things um, <laughs> but so, for me like to, to describe my for so long I didn't like the idea of my thing being seen as theater comedy because for me I'm like no I'm a stand up it was the same thing from a young age like I was always saying to people like I'm not a teenage stand up I'm by, a by the way we've that never happens to sold be a, it as theater comedy oh I know we? I know but I mean more amongst but like, it's interesting that you say that because I always wondered is that okay but that feels like that uh, there's a whole new paradigm out there and I don't call it theater comedy but I call it a comedy that has an arc and a spine mm. Yeah, yeah. And so that and that doesn't make it theater, but it makes it very similar to a theater experience. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for, but again, that was the type for four, the first four years of my career, I 
railed against that type of comedy because that was and maybe that's what I thought poetry comic maybe it was these comedians that were coming in with these stories because for me I don't see myself really I don't see my shows as an arc because I've never write them as an arc like you have to understand all my shows I've always said this every single show I've ever done is four jokes right but they're just four jokes right here's the, right maybe dark was more than that dark was probably six jokes here's this here's what dark is to me it's not this through line it's not a fucking storyline dark was uh religion my parents uh religion my parents my ex-girlfriend uh pedophiles <laughs> um dating uh josie Right. The six jokes, just six jokes. It was never, I never, and they were, those were all separate jokes that I just crammed together in a show. But when you do a show often, you've, you, my brain naturally finds links. Same with Jigsaw. Jigsaw was five jokes. X is four jokes. By the way, Jigsaw and now, now are the ones that are on. No, Dark and Jigsaw. Dark and the, Jigsaw are the ones that are on Netflix yeah. that you can see now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, no, no, no pun intended. Not to do an Abbott and Costello routine, but there is a show called Now. Yeah, which will be uh, I'm in going June to, at the Playhouse. Yeah. Uh, and if it gets picked up for a special, I'm going to be renaming it Socio. Because Jigsaw wasn't <laughs> oh, originally okay. called Jigsaw. Yeah. Jigsaw was called So until because they make you name the show in January, and I write it in June. Right. So I usually I call it fucking yeah, something to make the opposite. deadlines of the brochures and yeah, yeah, all yeah. that business. The only two times it's naturally fit is dark. We named in January and then it became a dark show. And we were like perfect. And X for some reason with the type to show that X is. We I picked X because it's my tenth show. Yeah. But it actually really fits the sort of you know. Right. Uh, so I also want to share with the audience one of the other reasons I've come to really respect you, is. So we have this association, you come to New York, it goes okay the first time, it goes really well the second time, we're kind of smashing it the third time, yeah, and yeah, the yeah. fourth time we're sold out yeah. for three weeks. And then uh, I'm approached about you wanting to present your buddies yeah. in the theater, and that's when I knew that you were like my kind of guy, is you're, you're kind of blowing up on the comedy scene yeah. and getting a lot of fame and attention, and your instinct is to bring your guys along with you. The difference between me and other comedians is uh, a lot of the time is circumstance not, and nothing else. Like so let's talk about those guys. We mentioned Kai Humphreys, Kai Humphreys before. Support- so there's something uh, that's called Daniel Sloss Presents now yeah. that we sort of coupled up with when you're coming to the Playhouse. And we it's just, do sort of a side thing called Daniel Sloss Presents. Tell, tell the audience about that. It's basically me bringing over uh, comedians that I know and love that I know the audience won't have heard of because they've not been given. These comedians haven't been given the same opportunities that I have. And that's the difference. It's like I remember my first, you know, let's take it to Netflix people have been like fucking where have you been I've like I've been working for 10 years that's what I've been I've been doing this the classic 10 year overnight success yeah 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 exactly that and I'm like and those exist out there like there's so many other incredible comedians and the only reason you don't know them is because they're not on Netflix and it's because don't get me wrong I I think a lot of the time comedy is a meritocracy sometimes it is it can be the best do tend to get to the top if you got the chance you still got to deliver the goods you still got to deliver the goods but there's some people out there that just don't get the sort of chances and it's like man some of the people that some of the best comedians in the world the ones that really fucking kill me nobody's heard of and it's and it, it's not that it's you know and I find that unfair because for me I'm like when Mark Nelson is a Scottish yeah, so comedian. We, the first time we did Daniel Sloss Presents as I recall we did Mark uh, no no we no, did, no, we no, did, we did Kai, we, Mickey we did Kai, and Gareth 
Yeah. So uh, and Kai Humphreys, Mickey Bartlett, Englishman, Irishman, Scotsman. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mickey Bartlett, Gareth War, and uh, Kai Humphreys. And the three. So of my tell me a little bit about each of those guys. Uh, so uh, Mickey Bartlett, I've been friends with Mickey for about five years. Uh, he's Northern Irish. Uh, we call him uh, Deck Chair because he folds so easily. <laughs> like, you'll go, Mickey, do you want a drink? And I'll go, no. And you go, Mickey. And he's like, ah, okay. Deck Chair. <laughs> you can make Mickey do anything if you ask him twice. Anything, he'll fold in. So he's got no, he's the best. Uh, Gareth Waugh is, uh, uh, I've friends with Gareth for about six years. He's one of my boys. He, he's so funny. We write together a lot. Uh, we, we, like, we do a show in the, uh, Scotland called Work in Progress, which is me and him and a couple of mates go up we just we spend all day writing together and then we go and fucking around on stage i think gareth is just so funny he's so silly he's got this you know because my comedy is you know so serious sometimes and it's got all this stuff like gareth is just for me it's the most refreshing thing in the world he's just a fucking silly goose he's just he likes silly things and he's funny and he's such a good joke writer and he's such a joyous little fucking really weirdo. great guy to be around oh man he, and, he, and, he, and, and he makes me laugh so much there's very few people who make me laugh harder than Gareth Waugh one of them is Kai Humphreys right who and, then we, and Mickey was and Kai and Gareth was that first season of Daniel Sloss Presents yes, right? yeah 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 yeah, yeah. And then tell me about like Craig Hill, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Craig Hill, who so is... So for the uninitiated, try to, if you can, try to describe if, Craig if, Hill. If aliens came down uh, and were like, what is a homosexual? <laughs> you would, I would point actually to, point to Craig Hill, right? Craig is... So uh, there's your guy. Yeah, Craig is... Um, I've known Craig probably the longest... Um, uh, maybe about 11 years now, and I knew him before that because he's, you know, he's a bit famous in Scotland. He's this... Uh, he's a he's a Edinburgh mainstay and oh, almost yeah, yeah. virtual he's, icon. He's amazing. He's a phenomenal dancer, singer. He's an amazing comedian. He's got razor sharp wit. He's fast as fuck. By the way, I've never seen stage. anybody work a room. Uh, nobody works a room like Craig Hill. It's really remarkable. I mean, uh, that is next level skill of working oh, a room. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it, and he just and it's he's so funny. He's so quick. He's so amazing, and he's one of my favorite people in the world. Like he's. Uh, he really looked after me when I started comedy, when I was 17 and stuff, like we were doing festivals together, uh, he would look after me. We, one of my first, ever, my first ever trip to Australia, we were on the plane together and I was so excited, but he'd done it so many times before. He's just so fun, every part of the, he, yeah. and then, uh, and nobody rocks a kilt. Like. Nobody rocks a kilt like Craig Hill does. Um, and again, Craig's just one of the ones where he just hasn't traveled much because he's got his career in Scotland because he's amazing at it. He's loved there. You know, he could tour all year to these. So this audience will get a chance to see uh, alongside you, Craig, in uh, June. Yeah. Coming yeah. to the Playhouse. And he's, uh, oh man, he's, he's fucking great. And he's, yeah, I, I love And one of those just people in life you're going to root for. Yeah, yeah, and I can't, I can't wait to be in New York with him because he's. That's uh, going to be a lot of fun. Well, the, th the thing about Craig as well is that the reason I love traveling with Craig a lot of the time is uh, he's always fucking funny, even when he's annoyed, and we, when he's, sorry, he's still very, very funny. <laughs> he, uh, I'm a bad tourist, man. I don't give a shit where I am. Like, I he, tourism for me is I want to meet the people and I want to drink in the bars. I don't want to see the city. I've been to New York nine times. I've never seen never the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. Never seen the Statue of Liberty. Don't You've care. been nowhere. I know what it looks like. You've been in my bar, yeah. my stage, yeah, 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 yeah. and a couple of other places. A couple, oh, yeah, yeah. And then the Soho room across the road. Like, that's my fucking local. That's all I want. Because for me, that's 
that's what New York is for me. It's the clubs. It's your club. It's it, it, it's the Soho room of course the thing, and it's the cellar, and it's the com. That's and it's my audiences, and right. it's that's and it's hanging. Comedy out. cellar, which yeah, is a great yeah. Place. I don't give a fuck what the Empire State Building looks like. It's a big tall building. Cool, <laughs> right? I've seen tall buildings. I know what they look like. I'm not. Im- I am impressed, but I don't give. A- I'm not a fan of architecture. Well, no, that's a lie. That's a very. No, I live in Edinburgh. Of course, I'm a fan of architecture, but I just mean in the sense that like. I, I don't go to places to see things. I go to places to experience them. I want to, I'm always curious how far comedy travels because like yeah, we, that's really interesting. We live in a world we live in a world now where people just go, We're so different, we're so different, we're so different. When I was fucking eighteen years old, I went to fucking Singapore and Kuala Lumpur and Jakarta and Bali for comedy and I was kicking to people from these places with the jokes that worked in Scotland and they worked in Bali and they worked in Jakarta. And I'm like, You're all fucking liars. We're all, we're the, all same. the same. We're all the fucking same. And that's why I love about comedy, man. Like and, you know, dude, it brings like, a room together like that. We've all got the fucking same sense. Because if we're all laughing at the same thing, that's a unbelievably wonderful human moment yeah yeah yeah. and don't be wrong you go to some places you're like well fuck this place this city's, this city's filled with notes <laughs> the problem is clearly not me yeah <laughs> so to to sort of start to wrap it up what's what's your next big challenge like what what do you want to do that you've never done that i've never done nothing Matt. like um i want to there's other things i want to learn there's that's what i want it's like I've always said, uh, since I was 17 years old, all I wanted to do was fucking make a living out of uh, comedy, and I'm doing that. I, I think anyone who's got more than one dream is a selfish asshole. Some people go through their entire lives without ever achieving one dream, uh, I, and I have achieved mine. I'm a professional stand-up comedian, and if nothing else happens in my career, if I plateau from here on in, I'm not allowed to be better about that because I've achieved more than other people uh, in my profession who are equally as talented as me or if not even sometimes more so like I'm so as you define success you think you've have it you have it now yeah of course i do yeah yeah, 100%. yeah. uh i would what agree I by the way is i want to uh this is an arrogant one but i'm not gonna fucking lie i want to be considered one of the greatest in the world i want to i from the age of fucking six i've watched carlin and bill hicks i, w- I want my second name to be said in that same sentence in 40 years time. I want people to say Chappelle, Carlin, Hicks, Sloss, Burr, Silverman. I want, I want to be that fucking one name comic. I want, you know. Yeah, I uh, think that. Um, I want, and, and, and that comes from doing it every fucking year and constantly grafting. There's other things I know I want to learn. Like I've, and even in stand up, there's so much I still want to learn. There's still, I want to get better. I want to keep getting fucking better. I want, to, I want to be as good as Chappelle, man. I want to be as good as Burr. I want to have that, you know, Every, even now, every time I watch them, I'm still inspired. Like, it blows my mind. I want to, and I want to keep learning, and I want to keep learning what I do. Also, what I want to do is, um, I'd love to learn how to write scripts, man. Like, um, I've got ideas in my head. I just can't write for shit. I can write stories, and I can write stand-up show. Can't write fucking scripts. I know I can write funny dialogue, but I don't know how storyline works, which is weird considering how I write my shows, but I genuinely don't know how to write a story. I'd love to... Um, well, that'll be the next, that'll be the next seminar between you and me. I can maybe lend a hand Oh, there. 100%. And, and also, uh, I'd love to, uh, you know... I don't know, because I, you know, I, I did do acting when I was young. I've always enjoyed acting. The only reason I don't do it in LA is because they're always like, do, do an American accent? No. Are you willing to learn one? No. no. Why? Because there's a million actors in this city with an American accent. Go fucking hire one of them. I understand that's what acting is, but this is my voice. This is what I sound like. If you make me act with an American accent, I'm not focusing on the comic timing of the lines you're giving me. Like, I want to I wanna be a good actor, and, and airplanes fucking exist. 
Like it's it, airplanes <laughs> exist. Get to places. The, like it's it's not alien. Just that not on Scottish 737s cannot, anymore. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, a Scottish person could live in New York. A Scottish person yeah. can live in LA. Fucking make the character Scottish. Like I know. Yeah, I'd like to get a bit more active. But for me, as always, my goal has always been stand up. I'm a stand up. Uh, everything else is a bonus and something I'd love to try, love to do. But. Uh, my heart belongs on stage and a microphone belongs in my hands. Well, well done you. Last question, which is always kind of a fun one. Uh, what's the most ridiculous thing that ever happened to you on a stage? Uh, oh, God. Uh, oh, my fucking, my <laughs> goddamn mother, right? So I don't know if you know this, but I look like Beaker from the Muppets, right? I, uh, I'll, I'll show you photos after this. My mum's got a... Comp- well, comp- we've also had separate conversations about your artwork over the years, but we'll leave that yeah, for yeah, now. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but look, I've got one smiley face that I do, and it makes me look like fucking Beaker from the Muppets. I don't know why. It's because i got a fucking fat neck because I drink so much, and i got a fucking square head. Um... Uh, and fucking, I think it was about three years ago at the festival, four years ago, last day at the Edinburgh Festival, I walk in late. My girlfriend at the time was there, and she's just got this fucking look of shock on her face. She's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I'm here to do my show. She's like, I thought you were backstage. And I was like, no. And I'm not an observer, despite being an observational comic. I am not observational in any way. I don't observe things. I'm so fucking stupid. And she's Remarkably like, unobservant. My girlfriend's literally going, hey, hey, look at me. And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm looking at you. What's up? And she's like, hey, you want to you wanna, you wanna, you wanna go fuck backstage? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, what the fuck is going on here, right? Turns out the one thing I've walked through and not noticed is my mother and father handing out 400 beaker masks to every single member of my audience for my last show, right? And I've literally walked in. My mum's in the, like, my mum was apparently three feet away from me with a p- stack of these fucking things. But my girlfriend at the time just went tits. And I was like, huh, 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 Distract. And she just sees me when I say, and I genuinely didn't notice. And then I go, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to stage Daniel Sloss. No clapping. And no, none of my music plays. And I walk on stage. And the second I walk on stage, there's a familiar song. I'm like, that's not my walk on. That's the fucking Muppets theme tune. And I look out and 400 fucking cunts in that audience are sat holding up beaker masks in front of their fucking face. And I'm just like, my goddamn mother. She's the worst piece of shit. So mom's always kind of win in the end, don't oh, they? Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she's a... I, I mean, love, we think we're clever. No, I'm not. No, no. My parents are the funniest people in the world, man. Well, Daniel, listen, uh, really great to spend this uh, time with you. Yeah. Can't wait to have you back at the Playhouse. And thanks for believing me at me at the start. Yeah. Mike, you, you've been an instrumental in, in, in my career. Well, thanks, man. Thanks. And we can't wait to have you. And I feel like it's a, it's just the beginning for us. Oh, yeah, not yeah, yeah. Nowhere it's, near it's, the end. This is, a, this is a relationship for life. Make sure that you see Daniel Sloss, mm. Kai Humphreys, Mickey Bartlett, Gareth Waugh, Gareth Waugh, Mark Nelson, Craig, Craig Hill, Hill, all the comics we talk about because uh, they all make this scene. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Thanks for listening to the Soho Playhouse podcast. I hope that we inspire you to attend a show at our flagship Soho Playhouse in New York City or at our new location in Las Vegas or for that matter, wherever creative theater lives in your town. If you like what you hear, please tell a friend. If you have a question or comment, reach out to us. Our email address is mail at SohoPlayhouse.com. And to find out a lot more about who we are and what we do, go to SohoPlayhouse.com. And remember, as Edward Albee said, 
People come to Broadway to look. They come off Broadway to listen. <laughs>